Hi, and welcome to the Finding the Magic podcast. This is Season 1, Episode 15. I'm Trisha Copeland, urban fantasy and dystopian YA and new adult romance author and host of this show. Today, I'm hosting fantasy author Christian Andreo. I met Christian through an author group on Facebook and read the prequel to his series, Before Autumn Fades. The book is about psychic soulmates that transcend death to find each other. I can't wait to hear about the entire Nexus series and his author journey. Christian, I'm so excited to have you on our podcast today, Finding the Magic. Hello. Today, sorry. Today we have Christian Andreo. Am I pronouncing that correctly? Yes, you are. We have Christian Andreo. He is primarily an urban fantasy author, but I'm going to let him tell us all about that. So you write urban fantasy? Yes, I do. Amongst and other amongst, things. Okay. <laughs> Can you expand on that a little bit? Yeah, so um, <laughs> I do write urban fantasy. That's probably what I have published the most. Um, but before I realized that I was going to try to make a career of this, um, I was writing standalones. And so I had science fiction and I had steampunk, which I realize is kind of the same thing, but like hard science fiction. Um, and I was writing kind of uh, high fantasy and some contemporary YA. So I mean, I'm all like all over the map, but what I've got most of out right now is, is urban fantasy. Fun. Well, many of my listeners are the YA urban fantasy lovers. So you are perfect for our podcast. How many books have you published? So um, I have five and that's a little bit of a cheat because one of them is a novella prequel um, that I don't think anyone actually buys most of them, <laughs> just get it from me directly, but it counts because it's out there. Well, I think it definitely counts because those are very important to write as well. Tell us about why you write and why you started writing. Um, well, I write because of this, right? This is a, and this conversation is what you want. You've got all these ideas in your head and, you know, as you put them out on paper, you're having a conversation with yourself, but just like any artwork, it really doesn't exist unless there are people out there experiencing it. So, you know, once you get those words on the page, um, it's not enough to have that conversation with yourself. And, and I can, you know, hold on throughout the, you know, drafting and redrafting and redrafting. And every time I redraft, I'm like, no, I'm having a new conversation with myself, but that gets old. <laughs> and so, you know, getting it out there into the world and, and um, you know, being able to talk to people about it makes it feel a little more real. Um, and that just feels amazing. And, that, and that's why I do it. I like that aspect of it as well. And I like what you said in your answers. Um, for those of you listening, I think you've heard before, I send out a little questionnaire and they write back and sometimes what they say isn't exactly what they write, but um, <laughs> I like that you say you experience it again when you read it back to yourself. And I, I definitely love doing that with my characters as well. So why do you why, write, why do you write <laughs> YA in particular? Uh, so I have a couple of different answers to this question. Um, I like YA as a genre. I didn't, and I didn't know that I would. Um, 
I started out uh, writing a a science fiction novel about, I mean, it was post-apocalyptic, post-nuclear war, um, and people had uh, longer lifespans. And it occurred to me that, you know, education and responsibility kind of drive maturity. And so the main character was about 34 years old, but she was still having formative life experiences. And um, at this point in my writing, uh, I, I got picked up uh, by a mentor who, who kind of had a friend who was an agent and they started shuttling information back and forth. And, you know, the agent says, this is too confusing for an audience. They're not going to understand the age thing. Like, this is a YA, just, just make the character 17 and move on. <laughs> so, so it was like, I don't know how to write YA. Um, and, and so I was like, I started reading it and I did not stop because it is, um, it is relatable to everyone. You know, once you start reading it, chances are you're either going through it or you've been through it and it ties. I mean, it's, it's something that everyone is, it's, it's part of the reason that I think people really resonate, um, with Harry Potter. Um, because, you know, even though the stories get more mature as you go, um, you've been through, school and the relationships and the friendships. And the thing that I think I love the most about writing YA is that um, the emotional aspect of, of YA is so exposed. Um, in adult stories, um, there is something big, uh, something monumental driving uh, what is going on. There are lessons to be learned. And sometimes just growing in YA is the lesson in and of itself. So, you know, even when you're writing dialogue, conversations, I mean, they do have to have a point, but they can meander a little bit and people can just be who they are. So it's this character building uh, sequence that's so enjoyable to write. Um, and I mean, it's why I read it and it's why I write it. Hooray. Thanks, Christian. Hi. <laughs> For those in the audience, we had a little break while my computer decided to shut down. <laughs> I don't know if that's happened to you before, but other people have told me that happens to them. So uh, yeah, all the time at the worst time. Yes, of course. So the next question, well, oh, my, I lost my train of thought, but I was just talking to someone yesterday and they were like, does YA exist? I was like, well, what do you mean does YA exist? They're like, because everybody reads it. Um, but I guess it depends on what are you looking at as your definition of YA. And it's typically the age of the characters is mm -hmm. how you define the genre, not who is reading it. So I thought that was interesting that she said, you know, does it exist because everyone reads it? So Yeah, and I almost jumped on that too. I was like, oh, how do we answer this? But you answered it. It was really good. Okay. <laughs> we were thinking the same thing. Yep. So the next question then leads to, you write mostly female protagonists. Is that hard? Yes and no. Um, this is something I, I realized we talked in advance about kind of maybe what questions we would ask. I was like, this is something I should unpack a little bit. And I realized this is actually a super vulnerable answer. So I was like, maybe I shouldn't have asked that, but I, I'm going to go for it. We can um, skip it if you want to. No, no, let, let, I'm going to give it a shot. And, you know, you can cut it out if you don't like it. <laughs> so, um, you know, part of the reason that I was writing female protagonists at first is because I thought it was on genre. Um, and I realized that this really worked for me because first of all, I'm a huge Buffy the Vampire Slayer fan. Um, I would say that 
um, that storyline and just the, uh, the Joss Whedon approach to storytelling has really stuck with me. But, um, you know, it was like it, that almost gave me permission as a male to write, um, you know, a female protagonist. But um, the reason that that's not why I stuck to it, um, you know, I stuck to it because uh, because of because of how I grew up, you know, um, when I was very young, I didn't um, really get the male perspective. Um, I didn't feel very masculine, even, even into high school. And I didn't feel like a, a female either, you know, but, but most of my friends were female and um, it was something that I realized as I was getting older um, that uh, I couldn't identify the way other people did. And that's not to say that, you know, I think there was a time where I was like, well, am I like gender fluid or something? But, but I realized that I'm gender neutral. Like, I don't feel like either. And, and what ended up happening throughout these stories is that um, as I was writing them, I would try to write male characters and I didn't get them. Um, I had spent so much time um, with uh, women just even in the last 15 years that um the male perspective was lost on me. Um, and so I kept writing female protagonists because I didn't feel comfortable writing men, uh, which is probably the weirdest thing anyone's ever said on the podcast. But um, I am pushing through that um, and, um, you know, kind of dealing with myself, kind of understanding my own identity. Uh, and realizing that I need to embrace both, both ends of that spectrum. And so I have been, you know, behind the scenes, really giving more arcs and time and attention to male characters to try to balance that out. Um, one of the things that, um, you, you know, I, I would say at the very, to continue answering the question, if I could, I would say at the very beginning, when I started, you know, this journey as a writer, um, my mentor recognized that I was writing female characters. And, you know, I said, I don't, I don't know if I'm getting this perspective right. And she told me that um, you can't think of uh, characters as male or female. Those are trappings. Um, you need to think of them as people. So that is how I wrote my female characters. And by and by, it's how I'm beginning to write my male characters as well. All of the things that seem masculine or feminine are add-ons. We try to write them as people first with their own emotions, their own emotional vulnerabilities. And then, you know, what resonates with me, I have found ends up in the characters here and there, but um, by and large, people are people. And that has come off, I hope, um, more authentic than it would have been otherwise if I'd have tried to force it. Yeah, I read your book when Autumn Fains and I thought you did a great job. And that's very good to point out because we traditionally and historically have placed certain traits and characteristics and personality types on males and females that may not and a lot of times don't necessarily apply mm -hmm. because they're people are people and people are all different so what was traditionally something that you associated with being male is not really that way right so yeah, I love, but when I did read When Autumn Fades, um, I was thinking in my head, hey, this is like a man who's writing this character, but he got it pretty good. I was like, maybe <laughs> he has like teenage daughters and has, has like three of them and that's his life. <laughs> no, I will someday. Uh, my my daughter's two, so I've got a little, oh. <laughs> a little 
uh, growing to do there. Well, um, in a year, you'll know this, but age three is about the same as age 13. So it, it, okay. <laughs> it kind of prepares you for that. All right. I'll, I'll put my helmet on. Yeah, definitely. I just was writing. I have one book that has a male character um, and it goes back and between, forth between the female and the male character. And it tells the story from both of their perspectives. And then I just wrote another short story with a male character and I have 16 year old boys, I have two of them. So um, I, I said, oh, maybe I should get you to read this. And all they said was, do they fart? And I, <laughs> I was like, oh no. Um, okay, no, you're not reading my book and adding that into my book, so. <laughs> but, you know, I, I have, I, I enjoy that um, back and forth male female characters. I've never seen a man do that before. I've only seen women do it and it comes off great. So I don't know if guys don't think they have permission or, or, you know, maybe it's a toxic masculinity thing, but, uh, I don't see, uh, you know, if, if you read even John green, you know, he stays pretty tight to the male characters, the male perspective. He doesn't venture off the beaten path and, and really try to give voice to female characters very often, not directly anyway. Um, but women do it all the time and they're great. Well, I think you could do it too. You need to jump in and be the first one, right? Just got to give it a shot. I'm trying. We'll see. Awesome. So we talked, to, well, we mentioned when autumn fades, but you have another series called the Nexus series. Tell us about that. Yeah. So actually um, before autumn fades was a, um, an experiment uh, to try to understand some of the rules of the Nexus series. So it is set in the Nexus universe. Um, the two, I would call them the two main characters and the two favorite characters and then the ones that cross over. Um, but they pick up uh, in the Nexus series and become very important characters. Um, so it's, it's a weirdly drawn out uh, sequel when I, and again, I wasn't at the time that I wrote that book, I wasn't trying to write a, a write series. I was trying to write standalones, but I loved, you know, the association. I wanted to understand the, the universal rules. Um, so, you know, the Nexus is something that I've been working on since, I mean, high school. Um, the ideas that populate that are super existential. Um, I'm Roman Catholic uh, by tradition and culture. Um, and so I was always trying to understand this idea. You know, there's something in Catholicism where they say, you know, you're not supposed to understand the Holy Trinity, right? The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You're not supposed to understand how they're, you know, three in one. I was like, that's a cop out. I'm pretty sure that there's some metaphysical answer to this. <laughs> and so I spent a lot of time thinking about, you know, the soul and the spirit and the body and trying to figure out how those things would would merge and i ended up um crafting this uh very rules driven metaphysical environment um and a lot of things kind of spoked off of this idea that the mind is separate from the spirit which is separate from the body and in uh, in the nexus it wasn't even the idea of writing the story first it was i have this place um, I need to put something in here, right? So, so I tried this loose, do these rules work with Before Autumn Fades? But then when I wrote Contemporary Spellcraft, which is the first true book of the series, um, it's, it's, it focuses on witches who kind of understand, you know, this metaphysical, um, th these metaphysical physics, if you will. Um, and to them, it's science, um, you know, and so the idea that there would be contemporary spellcraft where uh, witches would uh, write, uh, would encode magic in apps, 
And, um, you know, they would, they would use Facebook to, um, you know, cast hexes. Um, it's just, uh, it's different and it was super fun to write. Uh, and I realized, um, you know, just as an author that you can't, it's very difficult unless you have James Patterson money to build a business on standalones. <laughs> I was like, I'm going to have to commit to this series. So I outlined it through 12 different books. Um, and so now, um, you know, this whole series, despite, you know, all of these metaphysical underpinnings that that's for the geeks, like, and I know Trisha, that that's maybe your thing because you are very rules driven in your fiction, which I loved. Um, so, um, but that stuff kind of sits beneath the surface and then you start to get this very YA emergent, um, you know, gray morality that happens everywhere. You know, these, these dark witches, they steal souls, but, you know, to them, they're saving these people, um, from pain and that's how they get their power. And, and the, you know, the white witches do not agree with that. <laughs> um, you know, they heal and they get excess off of that power. And so, um, you know, what happens when you have these two groups of people that both think they're doing the right thing. And so you flip flop through all of these perspectives back and forth between you know, both parties who think they're doing the right thing. Um, and, you know, and I'm not going to lie, you know, a lot of my work is, um, very mortality driven. So it tends to come off as fairly dark. Um, I also really think that, you know, big um, emotions, um, you know, big events create big emotions and that swing has a lot of impact. Um, so, you know, I, I tend to write things that are at the extremes, um, not, not too much, right? But it definitely crosses some boundaries out of YA, you know, for the younger reader and into adult space. But, you know, the, so the nexus is, is all of those things wrapped up into one. And um, I'm, I'm really enjoying writing it. I don't know where it's going to go next uh, in terms of, you know, timing, uh, but I've got the outline for, <laughs> for all 15 books, 12, wow. 12 15 books. Yeah. That is amazing. I don't know that I could commit to 12 books, but I understand. Yeah. I am right there with you on world building and character building. And I do think we have similar styles in that way. And now I'm like completely have to go by the next series. However many books there are already, I'm like, okay, this is, yeah. Witchcraft through Facebook and dark witches and light witches. And that all sounds very intriguing to me. Yeah, no, I, I totally get it. I've got, <laughs> it's just a matter of balancing. What do I read next? I should be writing. Uh, because I mean, I've got your entire series uh, hanging out in my Goodreads uh, shelf. Yes, I, that's always for hard for me. I'm in two book clubs, so that forces me to at least read two books a month, but they aren't necessarily the, the YA fantasy that I would really love to read. Yeah. Although sometimes I, I try not to read in the genre I'm writing in because I don't want to be influenced and like bring it. Yeah, I just want it to be my own creation. I totally know what you mean, but I can't help it. Sometimes I also need to get back and it's like, look, how is somebody else dealing with this? Um, because this is, you know, a trope thing and I need some inspiration. That's so I mean, true. either way, either way. But I can definitely understand doing a 12 book series because my Kingdom Journal series was going to be three books and then a character hacks an extra book in there. And then I did a prequel and then. I 
put a fairy character in and I was like, oh, fairy characters. Mm -hmm. So I did a fairy oh, book, but art. now yep. it's linked to the other series and I'm bringing those characters into this new series. So yeah, I'm, I have to keep them alive because I can't let them. I know, go. I know you have to, you have to do it. So tell me about, so I think we know how Before Autumn Fades fits in. So it's like a prequel to your Nexus, correct? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Fun, fun. And tell me why, why did you start writing? No, I think you talked about a little bit why, well, but was there a specific event or experience that yes. you really love to write? Yeah, um, absolutely. And I think about this all the time. So um, when I was a kid, um, before computers, no, we had computers. They just weren't very good. So, and we couldn't afford one. <laughs> Finally, we could. We got this Commodore 64, and the old people know what I'm talking about. Um, and uh, it is, um, it, it came with a cartridge that had a word processor on it. And I remember we got a printer, and nobody was allowed to touch this thing but my dad. <laughs> um, and it, I think the first afternoon, once he had it hooked up, um, he, wouldn't let us come in the room for hours. And he was just typing out on the word processor. You know, before that, um, my grandmother had this uh, typewriter, which I love to use. And um, he would always, when we'd go visit her, he would close the door and and we would hear the clicking and the carriage return. And, um, you know, now it, you know, it changed. And, and at the end of the process, there was no carriage return. There was this eh, 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 of the printer printing out all of these pages and I remember, and, and, and I was pretty young at the time. And, and so even some of the words I didn't understand, but he, he had written this short story um, that my mom read aloud. And I don't remember the circumstances other than she was really impressed. And the, it was just about this artist toiling in the attic and the word toiling stuck with me. And, I, and, and this whole phrase, the way that it flowed, it was almost like singing the way that he wrote. And, and I knew, I was like, I want that. I want to create that. I have to make songs this way. And so once I finally convinced him I was going to be responsible with the computer, I mean, that was it. I, I spent uh, evenings, uh, weekends, just punching away at those keys. That's really cool. I didn't start writing, at least fiction writing, until I was much older, but um, because I started out as a technical writer because mm -hmm. I was in science and research and I learned to love writing that way. And then when I needed some creative outlet, I think that's just how, what worked for me. You already had the building blocks. Right. So tell me about your, one of the favorite characters from your book. Um, so anyone that hits the books in order will probably like emo first. He is probably one of my favorite characters and he's going to get deeper, uh, you know, as the series goes on, but, um, I keep, and, and again, he was the, probably the most fun to write. Uh, and I realized this is two characters, but I, I think Charlotte, once I started writing her came into the lead, Charlotte is, um, about as broken as people get. Um, she has a lot of issues and I have always been drawn to the emo crowd, um, you know, growing up and, and, you know, poets and that kind of stuff. And I would say that Charlotte has a poet soul, even though she's probably never written a line. Um, and um, she is, she defeats herself 
at every turn. Um, you know, you've got this person who is the enemy when you first start reading the book. You can tell she's the problem. Um, and then the book switches to her perspective and you start to see the life that she lives and how she became so damaged and, um, and you just hurt for her um, and with her. And the whole time as the series continues, you just, you want her to succeed and you know, she's not going to, it's like this underdog situation that really doesn't ever get fixed. Um, and I think I, I'm drawn to that because um, psychologically, some of that works for me just, you know, in my personal life, there's some things that they're just not going to get better. And I need to figure out tools to cope and not to try to fix. And so that part of Charlotte, that part of me ended up in Charlotte. And I think that that's really important to me. And that's probably why I like her. Yeah. I like that character as well, but before autumn fades, it was a dark book and it was emotionally hard to read for, for me. And I do get emotionally invested in my characters. Yeah. So there were times when I was like, oh, I can't believe she did that. What is she doing? Yeah. <laughs> and then I'd be like, I'm not going to read this anymore. I can't do it. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. I apologize. <laughs> but that's the place you want to go. That's that's where how what makes the book feel alive, right? If, if yeah. people aren't connecting with your characters on that emotional level, they're not going to come back and read more. Well, I mean, I think that's why most of us read, you know, um, we assign things value, not, not based upon a price tag, but by their emotional result, or even the, the amount of emotion that we, we achieve. And, you know, my mentor is always telling me it's, it doesn't matter what emotions people feel as long as they're strong. I agree with that one. So what do you want readers to experience or take this is kind of a good follow-up question? What do you want readers to experience or take away from your book? You can say that in three sentences. <laughs> I don't know. Um, I want them to have emotions. I want them to be able to feel some of what I felt when I was writing it, but I want them to feel their own thing. There's a um, um, uh, this thing that I, I used to do um, where I would give too many abstract clues to what a character was feeling. And at some point, my writing changed when I realized I have to let that go. I can't control the way that people feel about my characters. They become their characters and they get to have their own emotions about them. So I started lifting um, a lot of those cues. It actually may, has made my books a little harder to read, um, but I'm okay with it. And I think that the readers that are really into it are as well. So be because those characters get to genuinely become their characters, and the parts that matter to them. It's like somebody um, once told me that Seal, uh, the artist didn't publish his lyrics and his albums for a really long time because if people misunderstood one of his lyrics and it meant something to him, well, he didn't want to change that. Um, and I kind of feel the same way. So, you know, I want people to feel when they read my books and I want them to feel their own feelings. That sounds very cool. I get how you might not want to layer as many details into that character around whatever emotion because I mean, you want to paint a picture mm -hmm. but you also want to like let the person be creative about what they're seeing in their mind as far as where the story's going and what that character's experiencing and everybody comes at it from their own perspective and their own point of view based mm -hmm. on what their background is 
So this is a funny question and I want to ask you more about what you, your answer. What other creative activities do you do? <laughs> yeah, I, I bounce that out there because I feel like, uh, you know, if you read, if you write, you probably do a lot of other stuff too. And so I think we all have a lot of that you know, you're creative, it, that creativity is what you have in common, how that comes out of you could be anything. And, and for me, it really is. So um, I grew up um, playing music, in addition to writing and drawing and doing kinds of stuff that kids do. And uh, I ended up going to college um, to be a performer, uh, uh, to play uh, classical and contemporary music. Uh, and <laughs> I spent um four years deciding that I wanted to be a rock star instead. So I switched over into the um, recording program and producing and became a songwriter. Um, and so, um, you know, that uh, songwriting dominated my time and my writing was lyrics for a very long time. Um, and then um, through and through that really wasn't a good way to make money. <laughs> You know, I, I could uh, trade uh, an album for some gear, but nobody had any money in those at that time. You know, we were all fresh out of college. And so I needed to get a real job and I ended up, um, you know, producing live events and then uh, moving into, because, because there's content, you know, live events have these, this content swing, I ended up moving into media. And so I spent 10 years um, as, a, as an art director um, doing, um, you know, everything from, you know, recording and to, you know, music, uh, and, and voiceovers to, um, you know, to editing video and building motion graphics. And now, you know, just even my covers, like I love to do my own covers and illustrations. Um, so, I mean, it's kind of all across the map. Um, the only thing I don't do is dance. I really, <laughs> really don't dance. <laughs> I am completely with you on that one. I am not allowed, well, I can't sing either. I'm not allowed to sing. Um, but I do do weed just dance. I like that one, but I, I don't do it in front of like the public people. I took a class one time. It was the worst experience of my life. <laughs> oh my gosh, you reminded me. I actually went to one dance lesson when I was about eight. And I only lasted through one. And the place I took the lesson had gymnastics on the other side. And I, when the lesson was over, I walked over and I was like, mom, I'm doing gymnastics. I can't do dance. She was like, what? I spent all this money on this outfit and blah, blah, blah. I was like, I'm sorry. So you made bad that. decisions. Yeah, you should have checked with me first. Yeah, it's so interesting that you came from that creative field. And I came from a scientific background and I didn't used to think I was creative. Like I can't draw at all. Um, but then I realized what I liked about scientific research is I had a question I had to answer and I had to figure out how to answer that question. So I needed to figure out what experiment I needed to do to answer the question. Mm -hmm. And that's what I liked most about doing research and that's what I like most about writing like I have an end goal in mind to these characters and I have to figure out what fun way gets them to that end goal and what are going to be their roadblocks that are in the oh, way your stories make so much sense to me now <laughs> I completely understand like oh I knew it I knew I felt that well I have these geeky conversations with my narrator as well so 
yeah, I won't go into that. We could talk for hours about fantasy and high fantasy and urban fantasy. And all yeah, of podcast isn't that long, right? <laughs> right. Have you done any audiobooks? Or do you have plans? <sighs> I really want to. Um, I don't particularly like my own voice and most of my characters are female and um, I am a tyrant as a voice coach. So I spent, um, again, years and years um, as, a, as a vocal producer, singing and, um, and voice work, you know, commercial voice work. And um, I think the voice talent that I worked with um, would get a little tired of how prescriptive I was because if they didn't get it, I would, I would do it. And I would say, this is why I want you to mimic me. We're running out of money. <laughs> like we can't be in the studio anymore. Uh, and that would kind of upset them a little bit, but um, yeah. And I worry that doing that to another narrator throughout an entire project, I don't have the strength, the emotional strength to be that kind of a control freak. And I know they're not going to want to work with me. So um, I don't know. I'm waiting for the perfect storm or just a book with a male lead that I can give it a shot on. Very cool. I definitely could not read my own work. I have, I did produce some audiobooks, but not being in that field, I wasn't as nitpicky. It sounded great. I was like, you did great. <laughs> so oh, that's, that's what that I was want. My feedback for them. Like there was a I couple. I just be happy with it. Yeah, there was a couple of pronunciations, but I can see uh, if you're in the field, that would be very hard. So I have people when you're ready. Okay, it's trust. It's the same thing I had to do when I said, you know, I can't force feed the feelings of these characters to people I have to trust. I'm going to have to do the same thing with a narrator. I have to. Yeah, I tried reading. Well, there's two incidences that I tried reading. A friend hooked me up with an organization that you recorded books for the blind. So I was going to donate my books and they said, well, sometimes authors read their own books. And part of me was like, oh, this is going to take a long time. But the other part of me was like, yeah, it's super cool. So I went in the sound booth and I started and like, well, number one, I talked way too fast because I was nervous. And number two, I got to a part and I started crying because something bad happened to my character. And then I was so embarrassed. The guy oh, was yeah. like, well, we'll have some people listen to this and see if you're a good fit. And he never called me back. <laughs> uh, and that is why I can't sing on stage because I get emotional at my own songs. Right. <laughs> Yeah, and I tried reading my, a chapter from my book for my podcast as well, and I started crying then too. And I, I like, heard that, actually. Yes, <laughs> I thought you did great. Well, thank you so much for just sharing all your books and your experience. Tell us where we can find you if we want to find your book. Um, uh, ChristianAndrio.com is probably the easiest uh, catch-all. Um, I am on Instagram at csoundright. Uh, you'll catch the play on words there. First initial word sound, right as in to make things. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I'm kind of on Facebook if you hunt for me, but I don't really look at it that much. I'm noticing a trend, but everybody's loving Instagram. I'm a visual storyteller and it cuts down on words, right? Just, it's like the quick caption, but you can catch so much from those pictures. Oh, uh, image. Those yeah. Yeah. I mean, if I'm going to write a composition, I'm going to commit it to a book. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Christian, for being here. I will have all your links in the descriptions on the podcast. And I think, do you have anything else you want to add for our listeners? I'm, I'm not that special. <laughs> just, 
There's nothing you more to tell. You are amazingly special, and I can't <laughs> wait to continue the friendship with you because I feel like I know you so much better. Now. I know. I feel the same. Better bond. Well, thank you so much for having me. It was awesome. Thank you. Bye. Thank you for tuning in to my guest author interview with Christian Andreo. I loved hearing about Christian's worlds and books. You can find him at www.christianandreo.com and me at trishacopeland.com. Until next time, happy reading and happy listening. <laughs>